This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Of course, On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com. Make sure you head there for all the big news in motorsport here in Australia. Richard Crowell will join me in just a tick and we'll wrap up what has been a really massive weekend of action down at Albert Park, Formula One's V8 supercars, Porsche Carrera Cup and plenty more to come right here on The Grid. of weekend it was and let's catch up with Richard Crowell to talk all about it. G'day Crowley. Hey mate, uh, the, the Monday after the Grand Prix, uh, I am exhausted, I'm sure you are too. What a massive weekend it was in Melbourne though and what a huge event, what a great, great event it was for the sport just in general, just massive crowd, perfect weather and a really good vibe around the whole precinct I thought. I'm going to ask you a, a question straight off the top, and I'm not sure whether you've got the answer for it, but you went to plenty a Grand Prix in Adelaide. For me, that was probably one of the best Melbourne Grand Prix I've attended, and I've been to the last 18, I think, uh, Grand Prix. How does that compare to a, an old Adelaide weekend? Oh, I'm probably the wrong person to ask, because when F1 left Adelaide, I was 11 years old. So, okay. Uh, yeah, hard to compare. But, I mean, judging like for like, it was the best Melbourne event I've been to, and I, I reckon I've done 14 of them now. Um, it was terrific. Really, really good weekend. And, and I thought the the precinct just felt better organised yeah. than it ever has, much in the same way Adelaide was two weeks ago. Um, the the crowd was enormous. I, I can't put enough emphasis on the fact that moving it outside of footy seasons just had an enormous impact on that. And and all of a sudden, the event went from competing with the AFL for column inches, for broadcast time, for, you know, the, the PR hype that the AFL has going into the first week of the season, which can start now, mm. um, usually, I, I think, had a drowning out effect on some of what was going on in Albert Park. So, I think moving it that one week earlier has just been a masterstroke, and I'm certainly convinced that's what led to the the biggest crowd since 2005, with 324,000 people over the four days and 102,000 there on Sunday, which was amazing and completely understandable given how many uh, how many people were sitting on the hills. So, no, amazing event. Huge kudos to the organisers for doing such a good job in in running it so smoothly and putting on what I thought was a really good show. Yeah, no, exactly true. And we were together on Friday and we spoke about the crowd there on Friday. 85,000 people, the largest Friday ever for mm. a, a Melbourne Grand Prix. Just amazing. And let's hope now that it does translate to those numbers coming again in 2020 and beyond. I, I would think that most people had a pretty good time. Yeah, hard to see how you couldn't. And even if the race didn't go to plan for the... Many, many people wearing the yellow of Renault. Um, I think they all got a lot out of it and enjoyed the weekend and they got a different result, which was nice. Even if the Grand Prix wasn't an outright thriller, they really are at Albert Park, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the topic of the racetrack is probably an item we can touch on at some point. But, um, no, I, how, how could you not come back? It was terrific. The, the Saturday night supercar race is becoming a real staple on 
the calendar and a really cool part of the season and cool part of that show. I like the orientation of the event running in the twilight. I think that works. The start time for the Grand Prix seems good. Um, same for Quali on Saturday. So I, I think they've nailed it, um, and now they'll just keep refining the format. I'd personally like to see a better support program, um, as good as supercars are. Carrera Cup was great. Obviously got a, got an involvement there, so there's a, probably a bias, but I think they put on a really good show regardless. Um, Aussie GT felt flat for me, and, and so too did the Ferrari Challenge. Yeah, they bring money into the event, but and, and to be fair, they probably suit the style of the event, that international vibe, but um, I think you could probably do better. Um, I, and I don't know what, I don't have the answer to that, but the rest of the support program just didn't seem to uh, to jive with me in terms of the scope of the event and the size. I thought the racing could be better, but um, outside of that, I thought it was terrific. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to throw this out straight off the top and get your thoughts on it. I'm going to say right here and now that Daniel Ricciardo will never, ever win an Australian Grand Prix. And I'm going to say also that any other Australian driver after him probably will suffer the same fate as Mark Webber did and as he did. And it's all due to the fact that it is a massive week for these guys and they don't actually even get to put their head into where they're meant to be. They're doing so many other things. And even yesterday on that parade lap for the drivers, to take Daniel out of his car when everyone else had finished 10 minutes before him, to take him out of his car so he could throw a hat into the crowd, which didn't, was never going to work anyway because of the, uh, the fencing that's around. It was just, it's stupid, stupid, stupid. Let the no, guy focus I, on driving a car. I disagree. A, he could have told them to bugger off. No, so could he have because really? said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. B, it's it's one race a year, and they do the same. They did the same to. I don't think Hamilton did it at Silverstone, but I'm sure one of the British drivers would have done it at Silverstone. I know they did it with like Max Verstappen at uh, the Austrian race, sponsored by Red Bull, in front of that massive Dutch grandstand they've got there. Like it, it's one race a year. Most of the drivers in the field have got a home Grand Prix that they get that pressure. Yes, it's bigger for Dan here because of the just of the scope of the support of Formula One in Australia, which is huge. And that's a, a testament to this country and its support of Formula One. Mm. But he can say no. Like, they, he, his PR team can say no to a lot of these things they do before the event. But they just, whether they or he or a combination of them all, choose to do that. But I'm sure if, if he put his foot down, he'd be able to say, no, I don't want to do these appearances I'm not going to do it. I need to focus on being a racing car. Well, we driver. might find that that happens from now on. Well, I think, and and that's entirely fair on on him as well. And I don't have a problem with that. But th- this is the difference now of this new era of Formula One with the the current ownership. In that this is going to be there's going to be more of that than there is less. Um, and if you go to the states, 20 minutes before a NASCAR race. The drivers are paraded out in front of a crowd assembled on the racetrack itself on a stage and introduced one after another, and there are 43 of them. And it doesn't matter if it's bright and sunny or overcast or whatever. They have to do it. It's in the deal. No, no, I haven't got, but I haven't got to deal show. with that. But I haven't, got a, I haven't got an issue with that. I've got an issue with the amount of PR that he has to do thing. for the entire week. Well, but why doesn't he say no? Oh, because it's Australia, and if he doesn't, he's going to be taken as being a prat. Yeah, but I'd be happy to be a prat if it means I win the Australian Grand Prix. Mm. And I don't, I don't think he would. Would he? He's he's too loved as an Australian elite international sportsman to be labelled like that. 
I reckon if they went out before the event, if he he did a, a video on his social media accounts and said, "Hey guys, Dan Ricardo here. Swear a bit to make everyone laugh like he does," um, and then go, "Look, I just need to let you all know that I'm just winding back. You won't see so much of me before the event, but hey, I promise if I win the Grand Prix, I'm all yours on Monday, and we'll go crazy." Yeah. Yeah, but that I, works. I, the the, the power is in their hands. They, they control the deals. They control his schedule, and they can say no. I think he's just very generous of his time. He's got a lot of commercial endorsement deals here that um, he needs to service, but, you know, they can always say no to those and just go on the focus of being a racing car driver. He'd be a very annoyed man at the moment. Uh, through no fault of his own, his car was fairly severely damaged uh, at the start of the race when it went off the track. I mean, it's always good to stay on the black stuff, but sometimes you can't. And when you don't, you don't expect your front wing to be ripped off by some sort of grate or something that he went over. Uh, disappointing end to what was a, a promising weekend to the extent. I think we, we were hoping that it's probably going to be high top tens. Uh, I think where Hulkenberg finished was probably about right for that car. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, the thing on the start, that's just a racing incident. Probably don't yep. drive on the grass. That would be a, a pretty good lesson to be learned out of all that. Um yeah, frustrating, wasn't it? But, I mean, he was never going to win it, never going to be on the podium with the reliability of these cars these days. So, yeah, points were probably the objective. Um, maybe make some cool passes and just continue to show the, the kind of racer that he is um, was was what was likely to occur there. So, frustrating start. I think people just wanted to see him complete the race distance and get a, a run with Renault under his belt, which he didn't get. So, yeah, frustrating. Um, but I, I think the storyline of the race without Dan in it, the storyline of that the Grand Prix with, with Valtteri Bottas driving the race of his life and uh, and winning so superbly probably made up for some of that, at least, who weren't particularly keen on seeing either Lewis Hamilton or Sebastian Vettel win for obvious reasons. Well, I'd be right in saying that there's probably only two teams in F1 at the moment that probably have uh, standing driving orders. I reckon Ferrari might be one. Charles Leclerc just told to back off a fraction as he was uh, about to overtake Sebastian Vettel. Probably not a good career move on your first race with your new teammate. And uh, yeah. I would say probably Red Bull have got the other uh, one as well. I'm sure Gasly would probably be told the same in regards to Verstappen. But definitely no standing orders at Mercedes, which is nice. Well, not yet, anyway. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I've, I've read some of the social media commentary on the Leclerc thing. Um, and everyone going, oh, he should have passed him. He, I don't understand that. Mm. Um, he's in his first race with the most famous team in the sport. You're not going to pass four-time world champion and clear team leader. And everyone going, oh, he's never going to be a world champion by being nice. It's like, no, but he might be a world champion by following the instructions of his team boss who pays his wage. And the only exception so, to that is if Vettel had such a really bad car that he had no choice but to pass him. Yeah, correct. But yeah. if he did, they would have told him to go by correct. or told Sebastian to let him go. Yeah, I don't understand. I, I think a lot of this is just driven out of people who just hate Sebastian Vettel or hate Ferrari, one of the two. Mm. And and look, Ferrari do have a history of making stupid decisions with team orders in the past, right back to the, the Schumacher Barrichello era. Um, but they're a race team. And if they decide that they want Sebastian Vettel to be in front in every race, then that is entirely their right. And Charles Leclerc, who I'm sure is very ham- handily remunerated for being a factory Ferrari driver, uh, I'm sure can deal with that in this very early phase of his career, knowing that 
he's got a lot of racing to go. In the same way that I am sure Valtteri Bottas understood being number two to Hamilton at the end of last season when he was miles behind in the championship and Lewis was contesting for it in that fight with Sebastian Vettel. So, yeah, I just the social media just blew a lot of that out of proportion, I think, oh, from no a, doubt. A, late, a late race message to a driver fighting for fourth and fifth place. It wasn't you, even for a podium. Gee, is that's unusual for social media to blow anything out of proportion? Yeah, no, no, no. It's usually the bastion of, <laughs> of calm and relevancy. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, though. I think Valtieri Botas has put his hand up and said, you know, if I actually f- – I'm going to put my hand up and say that I'm here. I reckon that win yesterday gives him an opportunity to do that and to say, give me a chance and let's see what we can do. Well, he had to, didn't he? Because he was nowhere last year. He got absolutely destroyed by Hamilton across the board in every race. So, yeah. Yep. And maybe it's good for Hamilton too. Maybe it's good for Hamilton to have that uh, that inner pressure. And look, but we saw that in – when Nico Rosberg won the World Championship Correct. and Rosberg just applied the thumbscrews to Hamilton from the first race of the season. And maybe Lewis wasn't strong enough to deal with it at that point. Maybe he is now. Who knows? And and this is this is what's what's piqued the interest of a lot of people who probably got bored with F one at the end of last year, and me included. Um, going, oh, well, finally we've actually got a fight um, between the two fastest cars. Because when you've clearly got the fastest car on the grid, which Mercedes do and only one of your drivers can use it, it's not much point tuning into watch a Grand Prix at 11 o'clock mm. on a Sunday night when you know that, barring an airstrike, Lewis Hamilton's going to win the thing. So, um, you know, if there's an inter-team tussle between Bottas and Hamilton this year, I'm all for it. It's great. Did Fernando Alonso sit at home yesterday, watch that, and think, where the hell did that Honda engine come from? Max Verstappen no. wasn't too bad. I don't think he did because Fernando was at the Sebring 12-hour at the Sebring uh, World Endurance Championship. <laughs> did he watch a replay winning, of it then? Winning that? Oh, probably not. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah. It was, but it seemed it was a different engine happen. to what they had last year, though. No doubt yeah, about that. But, but but was it, though? I don't know. It just well, seemed. What, it what seemed faster. They, they weren't in a particularly good chassis no, last correct. year, were they? That, that didn't help them at all. You're right. So there, there was always going to be a step forward in performance jumping into a red ball. Um, Red Bull seem more competitive than they were with the Renault power, so maybe there's something in that, um, and that sort of helped them take a step forward. Um, but the fact remains that in raw qualifying pace, they're still seven tenths of a second slower, at least in the first race, than they were to to Mercedes Benz. So the the gap to the leaders is still the same. Um, it's just that Ferrari's a little bit further closer to the Red Bull now than than they were at the start of last season. So, no, look, good story. Honda are always going to win um, or at least be competitive. They, As a brand, they've had a track record of being in Formula 1 and being successful, you know, most of the time. Mm. Um, and in this era of these really difficult um, hybrid power plants that still sound bloody awful, um, uh, it, it's tougher than ever to be competitive in F1. But, um, yeah, it's good. good story for the sport to have another manufacturer competitively involved at the front of the field with Ferrari and, and Mercedes, um, especially given that Renault aren't really there yet. I'm going to jump on you there and say it's a bit hard to say something sounds awful when it actually doesn't have a sound. These oh, cars, when you compare them to what that V10 Minardi, which was a crap car of its time, <laughs> and what it sounded like compared to what these things, everyone was just praying for those laps. The uh, the speed comparison laps and the uh, the two seater laps that it did, 
just so they could hear a proper car. Yeah. It's Sad, isn't it? About it is that they're just they're still flat. The worst thing is, is that, and and I don't think the sport does a good enough job of talking it up. Is that these are the fastest racing cars yeah. ever, Sebex? Like it was a qualifying record at Albert Park. So twenty years of Formula One, nothing has ever been faster around that track than that lap Lewis Hamilton did on Saturday in qualifying. No. Correct. Oh, they're, they're awesome racing cars. And can you, can you make the comparison to make it even more obvious, the fact that they were lapping 30 seconds a lap faster than a V8 supercar? Yeah, well, exactly right. Um, but, like, they're just um, – they don't sell that enough. And because they don't have the wow factor of a V10 Formula 1 car blowing your head off as it comes past you at warp speed um, – you know, they should be selling this whole speed and performance mm. thing better because the cars are amazing, but they just sound uninspiring. And it, it's just yeah. proved again and again. And we've been waffling on about this for five years since they introduced this regulation. Um, and I think they realise that they need to change something down the road. But, um, the, but the biggest problem is is the hybrid stuff because you and I have heard current Indy cars better, which have got a, a, a live, which have got a – a similar powertrain in that yeah. is a turbo V6, and they sound so much better. Yeah, they they sound much sweeter. They're not louder, but they just sound more musical than yeah. than the vacuum cleaners that Formula One's got at the moment. So if you the cars sound terrible, at least talk up how fast they're going and and really pimp that these are the fastest things ever created to go around a racing track. Mm. Um, that that to me should be what they're what they're pushing really hard. Until they can change the regs and get some decent, uh, decent engines in the back of them again. Supercars. Uh, it was a, a pretty much a picked up from where you left off weekend for Scotty McLaughlin bar race five, where he didn't even get to start the damn thing. But those Mustangs are still holding court, aren't they? In two thousand and nineteen. Yep, they are, and so they should. Um, I'm, I'm still on the same bandwagon that I don't think parity should be discussed until after Phillip Island, um, because clearly. And, and you only have to look at the relative performance of the Holden teams to, to work out that that uh, twin spring van has affected Triple Eight and they've come back to the pack. Although, again, hard to judge because Van Gisbergen had such a shocking weekend. Probably the worst um, weekend I've seen him have for ever. Yeah, bloody awful. Um, so that's bad. BJR looked really good, inherited themselves a front row for the uh, Saturday night race. Didn't capitalise on it completely, but at least they got a podium out of it. Um Again, proof that it's still, as good as Mostert is, it's still really only one Mustang doing all the business, and mm. that's Scott McLaughlin, because he utterly destroyed Car 12 in qualifying at Albert Park. Like, it was comprehensive. I think the average margin across the four races between the teammates was four-tenths of a second yeah. across four qualifying sessions. So it's still just the one car with Mostert and Waters now in the mix as well, because Tickford are doing a, a decent job with their iteration of the Mustang. So I, I'm still maintaining, and, and it's they're doing all this centre of gravity testing and all that now, and that's that's happening. So that's fine, and I agree that they probably should because it's a formula that relies on technical parity, and it seems that it's not. But in the spirit of the current regulations, Ford's just done a better job and um, has built a better mousetrap, which in the end is what motor racing should be all about. So um, good job. Uh, yep, yeah, Scotty's great. It was amazing that you can not even start a race and still leave it leading the championship, <laughs> especially when you're only five races into the bloody season, Shebex, which is what he was. So, um, yeah, that was uh, that was a strange moment with Ian Cam Waters.
there's, there's got to be a – they'll have to look at that and maybe maybe yeah. there's a rule about maintaining your order as you're released from the garages to the grid. Um, Which just you know, makes sense, I would have thought. Yeah, irrespective of what you want your team to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a strange one. A little anyway, bit, they, they survived. A little bit perplexed about the qualifying format for this. Uh, four different qualifiers, 10-minute qualifiers – we, I think we spoke last week with Dale that these cars are so much better in a, a longer form of race than you know just a 10, 15 minute sprint. Uh, should they do something about that? No, no, Happy no, no. I, 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 no. I agree with the racing thing, and I, I, we talked about that. But from a qualifying point of view, I really like the ten minute session. Um, it just adds pressure. It's like a shootout, and we saw that in I think it was the. First session, or maybe qualifying two, in that Coulthard missed missed his first run. His yeah. lap was no good, and it was miles down. And he had to scramble back to pit lane, put tyres on, and ran again. And he was the only driver that ran twice. And he got to the line to start his lap about ten seconds before mm. the checkered flag dropped. So it becomes a top ten shootout. It becomes a whole field shootout. And everyone was going out. You run once. And that's your lap for the most part, unless you really stuff it up and then you go again. So I really like that. It puts pressure on and it was designed to jumble the grids up a little bit more rather than having the progressive grid that the Grand Prix had in the past. Um, it sort of didn't do that, although um, qualifying one, Cam, um, who was it? What's his name? Cam oh, mate, Super cheap, you know. Yeah, that's um, Chaz Mostert. Chaz, Chaz Mostert. Um, Q nowhere. Yeah, had to start from the back of the field, blazed his way through to fifth place at the end of the first twenty-five lapper. Um, started on pole for race four because he qualified so well. Um, his weekend, I would argue, would have been much worse had it been the old progressive grid system, and he would have qualified absolutely last and started last in race one and had to battle his way through the field progressively in each weekend. So. No, I like the the one and done stuff's good, um, and it's a really good format. That just mirrors the other rounds as well, where it's a, a separate qualifying system for each race. Can I also welcome you to old age with that forgetfulness? No, yeah, it's more uh, weekend hangover, I think. <laughs> but uh, no, and it's I'll, not from I'll, alcohol either. No, no, I avoided after parties. Fortunately, yeah. I decided to come home rather than. Uh, celebrate a terrific weekend in M Town. But wise, um, wise move. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going. Going wise with experience, Javex. Did we learn anything else out of supercars from the weekend? I don't think nobody, those middle runners, didn't really make much impression, did they? Uh, did we learn anything else from supercars? No. Um, we learned that uh, Richie Stanaway is still persona non grata in the paddock, yeah. isn't he? Yes. Uh, and this time, $10,000 fine. Yeah exclusion from the race and labelled an imbecile by Lee Holdsworth, <laughs> which I particularly enjoyed. Um, uh, what did we learn? We learned that Cam Waters, um, Cam Waters is, is a gun like we all expected, um, but I absolutely loved his comments. Uh, he was asked in the press conference, I think it was Friday night, about parity, and um, he said, it's quite frank, it's parity bullshit, and it's too early to be talking about it. Uh, so... Really enjoyed that frankness and and drivers just saying what they feel, which there needs to be much more of. Um, I really like the way hands Scotty McLaughlin just and made up after the the warm up lap altercation. I thought that was really positive. Just took their chat out to the back of the garages. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't think we learned anything extraordinary in that other than that Triple Eight are still very much struggling. Brad Jones Racing are the second best holding team at the moment. Where is Walkinshaw and Andretti United compared to where they were at the Grand Prix last year? And the answer is not that great. Um, and Erebus Motorsport are having a weird start to the mm. year for a team that we all thought were going to be contenders week in, week out, based on what they did last year. Um, yeah, they're in struggle straight, which is a real, real surprise and, frankly, a little bit disappointing because I think we all expected a little bit more, which is a testament to how good that team's been in the last two years. So, um, no, we move onwards. Uh, fascinating start to the season. I, I think Simmons Plains is going to expose so much more in supercar lands uh, in the real pecking order. Uh, and it's a track where aero is not such a big talking point. Uh, it's more point and squirt, old school road course, short lap, 50 seconds for pole. Um, I, I think that will be a really interesting test of who's where and who's who in the zoo. And it wouldn't surprise me if those Red Bull cars pop up one and two at that venue, especially in qualifying, because uh, I think it'll suit them. So um, looking forward to that. And then Phillip Island with the, the fast and flying stuff, that could be a Mustang paradise. But um, as it was for the, the ZB last year and indeed the uh, the Volvo, which was always a slippery little sucker yeah. uh, in previous years. So lots to look forward to, Sebex. It, it's, there's a lot of a lot of fascination around this championship, even though it feels like, Scotty's going to win it by Bathurst. Um, I think there's still a lot to love. What does Jamie Winkup think about the future? We speak to him. We caught up with him after the final race yesterday and spoke to him about what was a fairly torrid weekend for Triple Eight Racing and also does Tasmania hold some hope for his fans? Jamie Winkup joins us. Uh, made an interesting round, no wins, but uh, heaps of points, which is nice. Yeah, obviously we, we compete to, to win races and um, we didn't get any this weekend um, just through a lack of performance, really. Uh, couldn't, be, couldn't be prouder of the effort everyone put in. We absolutely give it everything we could. Took some risks, they paid off, and we feel like, feel like we maximised. So um, second for the weekend. Um, yeah, hey, let, let's not... Let's make sure we consider that the other guys had some bad luck yesterday. But all in all, second of the weekend, third today. I uh, rack up 200 podiums, couldn't be happier. On the other side of the uh, garage view, Shane seemed to have a shocking weekend. Yeah, he had a tough day and uh, had another tough day today. Just it was, uh, he said he just got pinballed from the, off the start and um, it was it was tough to recover from. So um, as a team, we can do a much better job and that's where our focus is. And as a team, you like to know that you're making steps forward throughout the year. You knew where you were at at Adelaide and you got to see the product up front of what you were up against. Yeah. Do you feel you've made a step forward or have you made a step back? No, we've, we've, we've been sim- similar to Adelaide. We've had the uh, same form at Adelaide. Uh, the track doesn't didn't suit our cars as, as well as it should. Um, but in saying that, I feel like we maximised. You know, we we were you know looking back, we were, we we're miles better than Adelaide because we rolled out of the truck quite slow with a car that shouldn't have been, you know, should have been good for sixth or seventh this weekend. To finish second is uh, is, is a, it feels like a win. Tassie brings a whole new perspective into the thing, though, doesn't it? It's not a free-flowing, fast track like Albert Park, and no. isn't sort of a big track like Adelaide as well. Yep. Tassie brings you right back to the to the front, doesn't it? Uh, I, hey. Once you, the cars aren't as quick as they need to be, we're not sure what Tassie's going to bring. Um, it is an aerodynamic track, you know what I mean, and we're not not the best with aerodynamics, so um, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, hopefully, we can put in a similar performance we have this weekend and just try to maximise where we can.
Jamie Wink up there talking to us after racing yesterday. One interesting thing he did say there, Krause, was the fact that uh, even though Triple Eight have been so dominant down at Tasmania uh, in the past few years, and I think Craig Lowndes has probably been the majority of that dominance yeah. as such, uh, he doesn't believe that that could be the case this time around, which I, I found quite surprising. I thought he would have been fairly buoyant and looking forward to it, but he just keeps saying we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, and yeah, and they know that. They know they're they're off the mark. Um, but I I feel like they're just putting too much energy. Maybe it's just driven from the top, I don't know, but too much energy into complaining about Mustangs and not enough into talking about their own performances. Um, I don't know, maybe that's just me. But yeah. um they've been uncharacteristically poor at the start of this season and you know, I mean Shane was on the podium in Adelaide and pretty competitive. So um Poor is a relative standard when you're referencing that team and how unbelievably good they are. Um, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm sure they'll be good in Tasmania. I've got no doubt. I reckon they will too. I reckon they will too. Carrera Cup was also fantastic on the weekend. Some great racing from uh, some of the Sonic boys, including uh, including Jordan Love, who ended up uh, winning the final two races. Couldn't take the uh, the championship round though, and that went to another one of his teammates. Darwood, big victory. And, uh, yeah, great drive and a bit of redemption from last year after winning three of the four races and KO'd in the fourth by his teammate, denied him a spot on the podium. Um, yeah, really impressive, though. Dale's looking great from a championship point of view. Jordan, love, what a superstar that kid is. And, and it's finally all coming together for him now mm. on a consistent basis. Um, top Michelin junior for the weekend, so he wins a trip to Germany to the Formula E pre-race there in Berlin. Yeah, which later in the prize. Year, which is pretty cool, yeah. So uh, His mum was trying to find some way to wangle in on the trip. Yeah, and I bet his brother Aaron, who'll be racing Porsches later this year, will be <laughs> as well. Um, but, yeah, terrific. He's a great performer. I love the stat that he went from the six, first six races of his season were sixth, fifth, fourth, third, second, and then he won his sixth race of the year. So this, talk about improving as the season goes yeah. on. Um, and then he backed it up with another victory in race uh, race four of four at Albert Park. So he's he's a contender, but Dale Wood looking good. David Wall, super consistent, second in points now, which is great. Nick McBride, round one winner, had an absolute shocker and will yeah. be very keen to get to Phillip Island. But that's the nature of this this championship. It's so close and so competitive between these guys that, um, you know, you have one bad round and you, you drop a bunch of spots in the, in the standings. So. Great to see Steve Richards finish in the positive after being docked 30 points after not even getting a point in the first race. Yeah, what a rough start to the season. Just at least he got some racing, finally. correct. But uh, big, big damage again to his car. So, yeah, they'll they'll go back and lick their wounds. And uh, Phillip Island will be a place where he will go quite well, I would have thought. Yeah, exactly right. We uh, move forward to Tassie in three weeks' time. All the teams now have a chance to go back to their garages and lick their wounds and try and work out uh, what does happen. Good to see uh, a new category coming up for uh, supercars at Tasmania, and it's uh, the Porsches, and it'll be the GT3 Cup Challenge. The young kids there will get an opportunity to fly around. Yeah, and after that category's been around for, for 10 years now, and it's their first opportunity at a supercar event, which is great. So uh, really exciting, and, and they've got a great field of young drivers stacked up, as well as some of the more experienced guys in Pro-Am, so much the same way that Carrera Cup works. So to use the Michelin GT3 Cup Challenge. It's, it's going to be a great addition to that program. Be another big field, 24 or five cars, we think, uh, already. So it shows that um, 
Now, Porsche has done more for junior driver development in this country than anyone has in the last five years. Mm. And that's the, we dubbed it the Matt Campbell pathway. And Jackson Evans, of course, is now following that as well. So um, these young guys coming up through, and girls coming up through Cup Challenge into the main game, quote unquote, which is Carrera Cup, and then get the opportunity to go and race Super Cup and go from there. So uh, really exciting and uh, looking forward to having them on the support program in uh, sunny old Tasmania, Shebex. Yes, let's hope it is in three weeks' time. It's starting to get close to winter. You just never know what you'll get. Crazy, always great to catch up with you. And, of course, we should remind everyone to make their way to the racetalk.com for the uh, the power ratings for this round. And at, Yep. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure there'll be a fair bit of Formula One in there. Yeah, there is. We've given a few people some clips, uh, the sport included, but we've given packs on the back to those who deserve it. Uh, yeah, and as always, our broad mix of uh, of people that we thought, or entities, or series, or whatever it might be, that did a good job, and those that could probably try harder. So, yep, jump on to the racetalk.com. It'll be live from Tuesday, and uh, have your say as well by following us on social media at the racetalk. And uh, we love people's opinions and contributions in subsequent rounds to decide what is hot or not in the world of not just supercars, but Australian motor racing as well. Good on you, buddy. We'll do it again Thanks. next week. See you, mate. Thanks, Crowley. Richard Crowell joining us here on The Grid. Thanks for joining us for another episode of On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com. Right here on mypodcasthouse.com, we'll talk to you next week.